0: It's good to see all of you here this Wednesday night. Amen. Wonderful atmosphere. Amen. God is taking us on a journey. We're not just here to have a few good services. I want God to connect the dots so that when we get to where He wants us to be, we'll understand a bigger picture of where God wants us to be and what He wants us to be. I'm going to ask you to be mindful. I know that it's, we live in a very distracting age, and it's hard to keep your focus, but I'm going to ask you to, to, to uh, do your very best to stay in tune with the Holy Ghost Amen. Let's, let's get our ears open as the song said, and let's have our eyes open so that we can hear and see. I believe God has brought the right man for the right time. Brother Stevenson, come and preach us into our future tonight. Amen. Amen. Yeah,
1: let's clap our hands unto the Lord. We thank you, Jesus. There's no one like him. No one like him. That's a wonderful song. And if we ever get the the message in our lives, it'll change us. You know, we live lives full of regret. In the church, out of the church, doesn't matter. We all look at our life and we look at the things that we've been through and we say, you know what, if I wouldn't have done that or if I'd have done this different, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. And we we overanalyze life, every one of us. And we, we, we live in the woulda, coulda, shoulda, thinking, well, maybe if I'd have done this different. And, and, and I've always wondered, if God can forget it, then why can't I? God can, God can remove it as far as the east is from the west. Let me tell you why God won't let you forget where you came from. Because your praise would then lose its meaning. Because when you can remember every time God picked you up out of your mess, then it changes the dynamic of your worship and your praise. I'm glad I can't forget because I have a reason now. Say when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He has done for me when nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. God Praise. So I say thank you, Jesus. I can remember where I came from. Oh thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just as an opener there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The Lord has been speaking to me. And I believe if you'll hear the word of the Lord tonight, God wants to help us. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 5, Paul speaking. He says, now I will come unto you. When I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effectual is opened unto a great door, and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Just give me a little while to lay out what I feel in the Holy Ghost, but this is what I want to preach about. Signs of revival. Signs of revival. I feel the Holy Ghost is going to help me here tonight. Lift your hands with me. Spirit of Almighty God, we thank you for what you're going to do. I feel the witness of the Spirit here tonight, Lord. I pray for every person. I'm thankful they're in the house of God. They're here because they love you and they want to grow in you. Give us hearts tonight to hear, to understand, to receive. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this place. Why don't we clap our hands unto the Lord and give God praise? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated tonight. Signs of revival. It doesn't take a spiritual person to see and know that the landscape of the world is changing drastically. Many can say that times are far different. I'm only 33 years old, but I can even say that times are far different today. Than they were when I was a child. I remember in the sixth grade going on a field trip and we went to a private school. We didn't even have a bus. We had parents with cars and uh, I was in my graduating class. I was I was in the the number three in my class out of three. But I tell people I graduated third in my class. I was in the top three. So I remember when it was field trip time, we would have to divvy up into cars, and and, and I was riding this particular trip with a friend of mine whose dad worked for a company called Louisiana Radio and Communications there in Lake Charles, and they serviced all the the, the towers with the big antennas. And I remember driving down the road and him telling us, boys, there's going to come a day when people, will no longer have house phones. They will have phones they carry in their pocket, and they can be reached anywhere they go. And I remember in the sixth grade thinking, that will never happen in my lifetime. Everybody has house phones. The kind my grandma had that you do the little twirl thing and, and it goes all the way around. And when now, we, I'm 33 years old, 20 that was 21 years ago, And I, in my married life, can only remember a brief period of time where I even had a house phone. Everybody has cell phones, just about everybody. And what's amazing is now when we, having four kids, and we go to a hotel room, which we do quite often, the first thing that my two youngest girls do, the very first thing is they go straight to the phone with a cord because they've never seen a phone with a cord. It's the greatest thing ever. Times, they are a-changing. Society is shifting. And we only fool ourselves if we think the world is going to get any better. I laugh on the inside at some people who are so astonished and amazed when some Supreme Court ruling comes out that is so unrighteous. And I think to myself, Have you not read this book? Because we've had this book in our hands telling us what's going to happen, yet we still act surprised when the world is the world. We fool ourselves by thinking the world is going to get better. Hear me. The church was never designed to change the world. The church was designed to save the world. We're not going to change the outcome. You're not going to change what's already been written in this book. Abraham did not plead. His prayers were not that Sodom and Gomorrah would not face destruction. His prayers was that souls would be spared from destruction. And that's what the church does. We're not going to change. What's going to happen is going to happen. Now, I believe we ought to pray for leaders. We ought to pray for favor. I'm not saying don't do that. But ultimately, God is going to have his way. So instead of thinking, oh, the church is going to change the world, how about we say, you know what? We can't change it, but we sure can save some people from destruction. We sure can pray that God would save souls perilous times will come, and we are living and watching them unfold. Wickedness abounds. Unrighteousness is rampant, and corruption is everywhere. But in the midst of all of the bad, God said, I'm still going to put something good. I'm going to put a church in the midst of a dark world. My friend, the best place you can ever be is in the church of the living God. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church let me just give you a clue if hell can't destroy the church then the government surely can't destroy it and the schools can't destroy it and society can't destroy it god said i'm gonna build my church It's a saving church. It's a loving church. It's a preaching church. It's a powerful church. I am convinced tonight that the world at its worst needs the church at its best. The church, it consists of so many types of people. People from all walks of life people are subject to change. If you haven't figured it out yet. People are subject to change. Just when you think you have the answers. They change the questions. That's people. The church is not always operating at peak performance. Not because of lack of God's desire. But because the church consists of people. And people Change sometimes like the wind. Thus the need for revival. Revival. I'm not talking about special services. I'm not talking necessarily about a special speaker. But I'm talking about when God steps into a congregation. And begins to revive a congregation. You see revival and evangelism are closely linked. But should not be confused. Revival is an experience in the church. Evangelism is an expression of the church. When you get the experience right, then the expression will follow. But far too often we want the expression without the experience. We want a harvest without the operating table. We want God to flood the altars, but we don't want God to address anything in our own lives. We want to watch everybody else pray through, but we want to stay like we're at. One is revival, and one is evangelism. But when the revival happens, evangelism will follow. God begins to revive. I was preaching one time for a gentleman, and he began to tell me about an experience he had with cancer. And I I want to say it was lung cancer. He was having difficulty breathing over time. His breathing got harder and harder and harder. And It was so gradual, finally one day it was like, okay, I can't breathe. So he went to the doctor. Long story short, he did have cancer, but also he had a a lot of fluid begin to build up all over the lungs, and it had collapsed one of the lungs because of the pressure of that fluid on that lung. And so the doctor came in and said, the first thing that we're going to do, is we're going to pull all this fluid off of this lung. He said, That's not going to be the painful part. The painful part is when that lung goes to try to reinflate. He said, I'm just telling you now, it's going to be painful. And so he said, In my mind, I mean, yeah, it sounds painful, but it's, you know, somebody telling you and you living it is two different things. And so he said they drew off, I don't don't really, they drew off a lot of fluid around that lung. I don't remember the exact amount. He said, but about 10 minutes later, that lung started to re-inflate. And he said it was some of the most intense coughing and pain and hacking that he had ever experienced. Just turning beet red, and he said the intensity of it. He said after about 15 minutes of intense coughing and trying to breathe, that lung opened back up. And he said it was totally peaceful and I could breathe perfect. And I thought, you know what? That sounds a whole lot like revival to me. you got to go through all the pain so we can get some of the, the wind back in your sails. But when God is done with the process, you feel a whole lot better afterwards. Than you did before it started. The problem is it happens so gradual that you don't realize you're having a problem. I spoke to a guy recently who I hadn't seen him in, in several years. And so, you know, if you're gonna if you hadn't seen somebody in a long time, a good way to open a conversation, and I did, I said, Man, you look like you lost weight. Because people don't get offended, they like that. So he said, well, you know, I, I, I've lost over 100 pounds. Well, then I was glad. I said, looks like you lost weight. You never go wrong with that opening line. And so he said, let me tell you how, how what happened. I said, okay. He said, I went I went to the doctor one day. I was having problems. I went to the doctor, and I stood on their scale. And it said I was 439 pounds. And I looked at the doc, the nurse, and I said, your scale's messed up. Your scale's broken. And she said, no, sir. Scale's not broken. That's that's we weigh everybody on that scale. He said, and I realized at that moment how long I had spent avoiding the scale. And when you avoid the scale, you don't realize how bad off you become. Let me tell you if you woke up in the morning and you were a hundred pounds heavier than when you went to bed, you would know I got a problem. You, you you wouldn't have to pray about it. I got a problem here. The pro- but here's where it gets us, because I travel a lot, and my go-to road snack is Pringles, chocolate peanut MMs, and Pepsi. And I do salty, sweet, and wash it down. But and and it's when the peanut MMs and the Pringles and the Pepsi it goes one pound at a time, and it slowly creeps up on you. Every now and then, I try to chase it down with some water to offset it and make me feel good. But it don't happen. Let me just tell you, this is the scale whereby we measure ourselves. And if you want to find out where you stand, you can't avoid the truth of God's Word and act like everything's all right. Paul said laying aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Those things in our life that we don't, want, we don't want anybody to see, and those are things that we got to deal with. You see, Paul said, hey, I'm going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door, and effectual. In other words, Paul's saying, I've got an opportunity here. God, there's a season that's opening up, and i got to stay here because this season may not come again. He said, but let me just tell you, with this open door, there are many adversaries. There's a whole lot of stuff that comes along when that door is open. And that season of revival comes into a church. When it's not all glitz and glamour, because God knows how to start dealing. Let me just tell you when you start walking through the door, there's going to be some signs that show us we're in revival. There's going to be some things. Some telltale signs. Let me tell you the first thing that's going to start happening. We begin to put God's kingdom above our kingdom. When a a church starts walking through that door, you start walking through that opportunity. You start changing how you view the kingdom. It's no longer my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Tell you, the first battle, spirit God battle was pride, and the spirit of the end time is pride. What do you think the antichrist is? It's a spirit of pride that that somebody's going to rise up, but there's a spirit of antichrist already established i'm not talking about one being i 'm talking about the spirit that is working. Let me just tell you, we are battling the most selfish generation ever. Before. The three greatest words today are I, me, and my. You want me to tell you how selfish of a generation we're living in? They invented a button on a phone not to take better pictures of other people, so we could take better pictures of ourselves. And then they made a stick. So you can put your phone on. So you can get rid of a double chin. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. We got to take high pictures like this. I got like three chins. They don't make a stick long enough. If that does not scream selfish. In fact it's called a self-e. The root word is self. If that does not indicate The the overall mindset of this generation, nothing else does. It's pride. And let let me just say this. A ship in the water is a beautiful thing. But water in the ship is deadly. And the church in the world is a beautiful thing. But the world in the church is deadly. When you let the mindset of the world come into the church... The spirit world, the kingdom world operates differently than the, than the carnal world. You can't take the principles and the mindsets of the carnal world because a carnal mind is enmity against God and think that we can apply this to our own life. And the world says, take care of yourself. The world says you strive and you be the best and, and, and you leave blood. I know people that can get the job done, but they got 15 people with bloodied heads behind them. They got the job done, but they killed a whole lot of people in the process. When you start getting in that flow of what God is trying to do, you realize it's not about me. It's all about him. It's about the kingdom. I recently read a quote by Brady Boyd. This is what he said. We struggle to tithe because it costs us money. We struggle to pray because it costs us time. We struggle to fast because it cost us focus. And we struggle to do anything costly for God if we aren't sure we will be recognized for it somehow. Because the world says you get the spotlight. The world says you get the recognition. Let everybody see you do all the great things. But Jesus said the first is going to be last. And the last is going to be first. He was trying to convey to them that when you get in the kingdom of God, your mindset has to change. In Matthew 6, he told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what's going to clothe you. Don't worry about all these things that you're going to do. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Probably share the story with you somehow. I don't. I don't. I've shared it everywhere, but I'll share it with you. Several years ago, when we were pulling an RV, which I knew nothing about RVs, I was green as grass. Our first RV—you've probably heard—I hit a building and ripped the whole side off. I mean, I'm telling you, it, you can't make this stuff up. I—I I did find out what RV stands for: ruined vacation. That's what it stands for. I don't care what anybody tells you. When you get an RV, when you leave the dealership, you hear me. Go to the bank and say, I want to take out another loan for the full value of this RV because you're going to spend that trying to keep that thing going. And so I was taken off to a revival. I'd never had any problems with my truck. And I was headed actually to Texas City. This should have indicated the devils who was going to fight down here. And I got on the highway. And, and, and I spent every penny, hear me, I'm not making this up or, or stretching this, every penny, all zeros in my bank account, on this new hitch that people told me this is the Cadillac, the Rolls Royce, you've got to have this hitch. That's all right if you're not an evangelist, but I spent all my money. And I said, no, Lord, I need a financial blessing. wasn't the wisest thing. I made sure we had food and we had fuel. So I get on the highway, and black smoke starts pouring out of my truck which doesn't mean nothing to me. I was more worried about it getting my trailer dirty. I said, we'll get over here to Texas City, and we'll wash the trailer. So I get to Beaumont, and my black smoke turns to white smoke, which still doesn't mean anything to me. It's running fine, you know. So I said, Lord, we can just get to Texas City. We'll get this taken care of. And so I got about eight miles outside of Winnie. And that thing started huckabucking, and I knew, ride is over. I pulled that thing over on the side of I-10, and I put my family on the feeder road, and I said, now, Lord, I don't know anything about vehicles. All I know is you put the hood up, and that's like a universal sign of help. I just lifted the hood up, and I just stood there. And so I got no money. I am broke. But my mom says, well, you know, your insurance will pay for towing. I said, oh, that's a good thought. I called my insurance. I said, uh, do you all cover towing? Yes, sir, we do. I said, great. They said, but you've got to pay them first and give us a receipt. Not great. I don't have no money to pay them. I, I don't have nothing. So I said, now, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. So out of all the thousands of people passing I-10, the Lord speaks to a man heading east, and we're heading west. The Lord speaks to a man to turn around. He turns around. He pulls up behind me. He even has one of these neon safety vests he puts on. Comes over to me and he says, uh, what's the deal? I said, don't know. Got oil everywhere. Got smoke coming out the pipe. The tailpipe. Won't work. I don't know what it is. And about that time, a tow company called that had called and left a message. They call. I answer it. And the guy looks at me and he says, let me talk to him. I got nothing to lose but a cell phone. I give him a cell phone. He walks to the back. He comes back up. He says, that's a tow company. They want $200 to tow you to the Ford place. I said, okay. He gives me $120. He said, when we get to that gas station to unhook your trailer, I'll give you the rest of the money. All right. So we get over there, and he brings my girls inside. I'm telling you, he buys them everything. Under the, so they come out with arm at a gas station. They come out with armfuls like it was a, a Astro World or something. I'm like, my goodness, I don't buy none of that junk. He comes out, he gives me 200 more dollars in cash. Never met this man. I said, sir, I said all I needed was 80 dollars to pay for the towing. He said, don't say a word about anything. This is your money. So I'm, well, my faith is starting to peak up a little bit. I said, all right, God, this is, this is we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. So we get to the revival, and they call me on Wednesday morning. I could take you to the spot where I was standing in that little prayer room. They said, Mr. Stevenson, um, you blew out your engine in your truck. It'll be $15,000 to put an engine in your truck. I just started laughing on the phone at the lady. On, I, I didn't know what else to do. I, I said, ma'am, I didn't even pay $15,000 for the truck. I'm not putting a 15000 I said, I tell you what, how much do I owe you for what you've done? She said, $200. I said, don't touch anything else on that truck. You leave it just like it is. I don't want another penny put on that truck. And so I went to prayer. And I would love to say that I walked in there with faith and confidence, but rather it was more like me telling God how much I hated what I was fixing to go through. I said, God, I don't even want that dumb piece of junk. I gave that to you when I started evangelizing. You could take care of that truck and crying and pleading with God and the Lord knows my heart I was not being mean or ugly I sat down against the wall on the floor in that little prayer chapel Brother the Wedgworth's church I turned on some instrumental music to calm the evil spirits that had visited me and I said now Lord I am done talking it's time for you to talk I needed a word and I sat. I don't know how long it was, but I sat there just listening. And I, it might have been 10 minutes. Might have been. I don't know how long it was, but the Lord spoke to me in that little prayer chapel. He said, Tyler, if you will pray as hard for revival as you just prayed for your truck, I'll take care of your truck and you'll have revival. What was God trying to do? He was trying to transition my mindset from all about me. Me, What God, look at my problem. Look at what's going on in my life. Look at this. Hey, seek ye first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and I'll take care of all of this junk in your life that you're stressing over. You seek the kingdom and his righteousness. That's revival when your mindset begins to transition from what's in it for me. So what is it about what can I do for the kingdom? We went and picked that truck up. Had a brother go, go pick it. We went and picked it up and, and brought it back. And, and I had people ask, What are you gonna do with that truck? I don't know. God hadn't told me what he's gonna do. He just told me he's gonna take care of it. I don't have no money. But listen, I don't have time to go into it. Within five weeks, they told me it was gonna be fifteen thousand dollars to put a, a new engine. So they started doing some checking around, and they said, we can get it totally fixed with a used engine for $7,500, which 10 pounds off a cow is still a cow, but it's a little easier to deal with. I can say that because my wife's not here. She don't like that statement. But within five weeks, over $10,000 came my way, unsolicited, and God took care. I had people call me and said, Brother Stevenson, it's the weirdest thing. Every time I think about you, I think about money, and I say, "Brother, you better not stop when you're in the hole. You better walk. You follow that. Don't quench the spirit. You don't. Deal, you don't mess when God starts talking like that." And God proved to me when you put my kingdom above your kingdom, I'll always take care of every need that you have. That's why in the book of Acts, and I'm hurrying, the Bible says that they sold all their goods. They had one thing in mind, and that was kingdom. 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 You know what's so crazy about this life? I'm fixing to mess with you. People will labor their whole lives for things. They come in the world grabbing. I got one year old. She can grab anything. She was walking around the other day. Yesterday, she had found a wad of gum digging in the trash can. Hands everywhere. She can tell you anything. And your whole life you spend, give me, give me, give me, give me. And you build all this stuff up that you use to gauge the standard of success in life. And when you pass, your kids give it all away. Your kids sell it for pennies on the dollar. And you, def- you defined your life by what you were able to grab. It's not what I can grab, but what I can give that defines who I am in the kingdom of God. Because it indicates God's kingdom. I remember the story of Nona Freeman at an Ethiopian crusade. There was the the place where they they were all having the crusade. And she said the ministry met in a little house next to the place. And she said when we opened the door and started walking to the place where they were having the crusade. She said as I was walking. It literally felt like she was walking into water. And she said, it it, it got to where it felt like she was floating. Like she was floating in water. And she said, Lord, what am I feeling? And the Lord spoke to her and said, what you're feeling is perfect unity. Because there was no resistance. There was no conflict. There was no friction. Nobody was worried about their spot. Nobody was worried about if they get credit for anything. It was all about kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And that's how you know that we're going through revival is when you stop thinking about what, what can I get noticed for, or what can I do?" And it becomes all about the kingdom of God. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that this kingdom is not a competition-driven kingdom. It's a team. And the Bible says that we are one body with many members. You know, on a team, that there's, there's more than one p- person on a team that can do the same thing. There is. I'm thankful that, that I'm not competing in this kingdom because I understand if there's an overall goal, And that is reaching people and helping people grow. The church is not made up of people that are better than the rest, but of people that are trying to be better than they once were. We're trying to be better than we used to be. And it's a daily thing where we grow in God. The second sign that we're in revival is our weaknesses become more obvious than our strengths. Now, This is hard. Because I've never met a person yet that doesn't see themselves as a 10. We all see ourselves in the best light. Because we are forced by our nature to project the best to people. I promise you, if you polled 10 people and asked them to describe you, it would differ than how you viewed yourself. Because we view ourselves through our strengths, but other people view us through our weaknesses. That's, that's, but when you get in revival, when you start walking through that door, God has a way of showing you, hey, we need to work on this over here. Oh, I know you're doing all of this right, but this one thing here is what's hindering you. Let's not focus on your strengths right now. Let's focus on the one thing that's, that's hindering your walk with God. And th- that's how we know. I have been in revivals. And I know because I've, your pastors traveled. I've traveled. I still travel. But I have pastors telling me, brother, you'll never believe everything that's been happening this week. And I just look at them like, I, I could have told you this was going to happen. Because when you start walking through that door, all kinds of stuff starts going wrong. And it starts breaking loose. And they just tell me, and I say, I look at them and say, well, it sounds like we're in revival. I remember praying. One time I I was just starting evangelizing maybe six months, seven months in, and I knelt down one day to pray at a church. And the Lord showed me a picture of a man in the church, and he was dressed in a suit. And the top half of his body, as I'm watching, the top half of his body turned into a snake. And I said, okay, Lord. What's all this mean? I don't know what to do with all this. So I began to pray about it. Lord, I, I mean, you're going to have to make... And this man was a prominent figure in the church. It wasn't like you can just... You, you didn't tackle that from the pulpit. You, you can make a whole lot of damage when you do something like that. So I was praying for wisdom. Lord, what does this mean? Lord, how do I deal with this? I don't know what to do. And so about a week later, I finally, after some counsel, I think I might have talked to your pastor. I don't know. I talked to some some men in my life, and and, and they all cautioned me and told me the the right thing to do. And I went and sat down with that pastor, and I said, look, brother, I don't know what this means. I'm going to tell you what I saw, but I can't tell you the meaning behind it. And I told him what I saw. Now, before I walked in the office, I had tried to call one other elder in my life, and he didn't answer. Well, while I'm in the office, he he calls. So I didn't answer it, but the pastor was talking to him, and he said, You know, I've had a lot of time over the years where the Lord has dealt with me and said that I felt like this man was homosexual. This man was married with kids. I felt like this man was a homosexual. He said, But I've never been able to put my finger on it, or he's never been caught. He said, But. Also, this man has tried to split the church several times. Sounds like a snake to me. And so I said, well, I just told you what I saw. I'm, I'm not telling you all the meaning, but I'm telling you what I saw. So I leave his office. And I call that elder back that I missed his call. And I, you know, I said, sorry, elder, I was, I was talking to a pastor. I needed some advice. And he said, well, what's up? And I said, well, I was praying about a week ago. And the Lord showed me this this man, and the top half of his body turned into a snake, and he stopped me right there. That's all I got out of my mouth, and he he stopped me. He said, "The man's a homosexual." He said, "You want me to tell you what he's been doing?" And I mean, my jaw dropped. I said, "Actually, you just confirmed what the pastor had already told me." I said, "But I don't need to know any details because it's it's out of my hands," and. He said, here's what the Lord wants me to tell you to do. You go back into that office. This is what you tell that man. You tell that pastor to remove all bias regarding how he prays God handles this situation. And that means God, whether you take him or you restore him back into the body of Christ, whatever you want to do to deal with it, you do it. See, that's how God, In revival, God starts exposing things. God starts dealing with things. And we don't like it because it makes us uncomfortable. But God has a way of getting rid of some junk that's hindering the kingdom of God. It's not that God is angry at you. God deals with things out of love because he wants you to grow in him and know him in a greater way. So instead of saying, oh, what am I doing right? Let's say, what am I doing? God, show me where I need help. I was not too long ago, my father, he does a lot of tractor jobs on the side. And he, uh, one, one of these jobs was bush hogging 100 acres, which doesn't sound like a lot. But you sit your hide on a tractor for 100 acres. You're going to feel every bump. And so he said, you want to make some money? Yeah, I am never one to turn down money. So I went out there. And this stuff, was, some of this stuff was 7 to 9 feet tall. And you couldn't even see. you just driving through this. There was no stumps because they ground all the stumps up, but over time it had grown up. And so what I would do, because I'm ADD, I got to measure by accomplishment. I would make me little squares. I wasn't just going to get there and go around that whole property. So I would knock out a little square at a time so I could make myself feel like I'm accomplishing something. But here's what I noticed. I'm going around this square, which might be an acre at a time. And As I'm watching, there's nothing, there's no animals to be found anywhere. But when I get to those last two or three passes, possums and rats and all kinds of stuff start darting out of all this stuff. And while I'm driving that tractor, the Lord speaks to me. And he says, what you're seeing in the physical is what happens in the spirit When I start working in a church. He said, everybody tries to hide. All the things that's wrong tries to hide. But I just keep moving, and I keep moving back and forth. And he said, as I make progress, all this stuff starts getting exposed, and all these spirits start running, and all the stuff people's been holding on to comes to light. He said, but you just keep on going. You just keep on going back and forth, because I'm working even when you can't see what I'm doing. That's how revival is. Had a, I, I know a man who was was caught. He was caught almost in an affair. It was called an, an emotional affair, but nonetheless, he was walking down a road he shouldn't have been walking down. And thank God that it didn't it didn't get to where it could have got. But he told me afterwards. He said, Tyler, I had been praying that the Lord would draw me closer to him. He said, but I didn't realize that me getting caught was how it was going to happen. God did draw him closer to him. But it took exposing the things in his life he was trying to hide to get him closer to him. Finally, the third sign is a sign of revival is opposition is met with a church that won't back down. A church that realizes, you know what? This may be exposed here. This may be happening here. And all this stuff is happening in our church. And it's not that these are bad people. It's that they're being attacked and they're being fought. But there's a church that knows how to pray. And there's a church that knows how to come to the house of God. And say, you know what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I don't care what happens in my city. I don't care what happens in my church. We're not going to back down we're going to keep pressing we're going to keep praying we're going to keep fasting we're going to keep praying for God to save and God to reach there's got to be a church that will press through in revival stand with me all over the building as the musicians come in Acts chapter 12 and I'm, I'm closing right now in Acts chapter 12 Herod tried to stop the church he killed James and he imprisoned Peter And there could have been a church that threw their hands in the air and said, Now, look at all the bad that's happened. I thought this was the church, triumphant. But no, there was a church that just kept on praying. There was a church that kept They were so engrossed in prayer that when Peter showed up, they thought there's no way, that, there's no way. They just had a tenacity about them, And they saw miracles, signs, and wonders because they would not stop. You know what I believe? There's a church in Webster that is mature enough in God that can realize when things start getting exposed, that's a sign we're doing something right. That's a sign that God is working on us. That's a sign that we're going to see the miraculous. I don't know about you, but I want to walk through that open door that God has. Yes, there will be many adversaries, but there's also going to be many victories. There's going to be many things done for Christ. His bowed and eyes closed all over the building. We got to realize tonight. That this is not about us. It's about God's kingdom. It's not about whether I get seen or not. It's not about whether I get recognition or not. It's about the kingdom of Almighty God. And when God starts moving, as He has in this service tonight, God has a way, as your eyes are closed and nobody's looking around, God has a way. Of showing you areas in your own life that you need to work on. Maybe you're here and you're holding on to things from yesteryear. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship with God. Maybe there's some things that are holding you back. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. God wants to help you deal with those things in your life. So you can draw closer to Him. I I wonder if you're here and you say, you know what preacher? I want to walk through that open door. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want God to deal with things in my own life so I can be greater than I ever was. I want you to raise your hand right now if that's you. I want to walk through that door. I want to walk through that door. I want God to deal with me like he's never dealt with me before. I want to lay aside the wave of the sin that does so easily beset me. So I can be a part of the church triumphant. So I can be a part of the church that sees that revival. God, you see every part, person in this house... Oh that's it church begin to pray right now You see every heart God there's a strong church here There's a church that knows how to pray There's a church that knows how to get a hold of you There's a church that understands What revival is all about Come on if you want to be a part of it I want you to step out of your pew right now I want you to come and say God do whatever you got to do inside of me God search my heart God try my reins Draw me closer to you than I've ever been before. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Oh, God, not my will, but your will be done.